Welcome to Cornerstone. I'm going to read from uh, Romans 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Those are two like really big verses, I feel like. Um, we pretty much get everything from God. He created us, every, every element of creation. Um, none of that's really ours, and he's asking us to give it back to him, and that that's a reasonable and acceptable sacrifice. Uh, more than that, he's also talking about how we shouldn't become conformed to the world because he knows that we're pretty flawed, um, messy, kind of get things from all over the place and like to rely on ourselves or on other people to be smart enough or strong enough to, to figure out how to take care of this problem. Even Peter sort of got caught up in the world and the crowd and denied Jesus three times. It's, it's really hard. It's hard for everyone, even the apostles. Um, but he's really trying to tell us, I think, here to, uh, to stop looking around and comparing ourselves to other people so much and to look up at Jesus, who is really the, the unifier, and it's in him that we can find that. And then this chapter, again, he appeals to you, therefore, brothers. So I do think it's sort of in the context of he's talking to Christians. It's the end of Romans. Um, he's getting ready to tell us that we shouldn't be too proud of our talents, but we shouldn't just not use them or something like that. So I'll keep reading here. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we though many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith of service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So he's talking about an analogy we're all in one body, which is kind of hard to think about. It's an analogy. It's, it makes sense, though. I mean, if one part of your body is missing, you're not as functional. You can't operate as well. If one part of your body wants to take over, it's probably not, probably not great either. Um, if one of your body, part of your body just doesn't want to do any work, you're not going to go anywhere. So I think he, for us to have an effective body, it has to be unified, and it has to be functional and with an understanding that you're, you have a purpose, you, you need to fulfill that purpose or else you're holding everyone else back, but it's not the most important purpose, 
so everyone else has to follow your lead. Um, and he continues on, I think, here into the rest of the chapter, talking about what these sort of marks of a true Christian sort of would look like. And I think he's trying to get us to go toward these things, um, to run towards these things. You might imagine the body running towards these things. Um, and I think it's really an, an amazing thing, but I don't think we get there without that, you know, the we are one body in Christ. So it's his, by the strength of his grace that we, we can get there. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them, weep with those who weep, Rejoice with those who rejoice. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, Feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. It's like a lot of really good stuff, pretty difficult. But that's what he's calling us towards. And the faith that we have, we have to have this hope that he's calling us towards something better might be painful. Um, in the beginning, he says to be a living sacrifice. I mean, that could be a lot of things. Um, but faith is the, what is it, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It's kind of hard to get a hold of a lot of this stuff, but it, I do, he says it's a, a reasonable thing to do, and it's acceptable to him to do, and I think we should run towards that. So I think we can go to prayer. Um, does anybody have any prayer requests? Pray for your granddaughter Peyton, her eyes, something. Okay. Okay, Gail Turner, his dad's having surgery for a broken hip. Jeff? Today's the National Day of Prayer, is that what you said? Okay, just to pray for the rulers, wisdom in these really probably difficult times. Marsha? Jerry and Ivan Bonnie? Yep. 
we could pray for Kip's Uncle Jim. All right, Clem.
Good morning and welcome. <clears throat> we are in a place that I would rather be here than most any other place. We are glad to be here together with each of you. I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, chapter 6. We're so glad as Burke opened the meeting here today out of Romans chapter 12, speaking to us about how we're to be uh, not conformed to this world. Because that's where so many of our fears come from. Brother Ryan opened the meeting this morning talking about our fears, but our fears come because we get so conformed to the things and the thinking of this world. But we're to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And then he goes on and talks about the congregational work of the body of Christ and how we have all these different functions given to us by the Spirit of God and its proportions and measures of faith, and, and we function together. So this is the best place to be, right here in the congregation. We can be an encouragement to each other. We can worship together, worship the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our Savior and King. Now, in Ephesians chapter 6, we want to take some time to... Uh, Think about the whole armor of God, but particularly one piece of that armor, because Paul, as he was writing this, wrote this statement you see above us here, that above all, taking the shield of faith. Somehow he put some special emphasis on the shield of faith. And we're going to mention the other parts of this, but we want to emphasize, we want to stay kind of focused on this shield of faith. So in verse 16, it says, but above all, Ephesians 6, 16, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Now, there's something very special about that kind of a shield. So let's put it in the context, starting in verse 10 here, Ephesians 6, 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And this is a key to the armor, but particularly to this shield of faith as well, because our faith is in the Lord, and it's the Lord who has the strength, who has the might, who has the power. It's going to be a key element of this shield of faith. Our strength is not in us. It's in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. This armor belongs to God. God created it. It belongs to him. It's his armor, and he gives it to us. And Paul's encouraging us to put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles or the schemes or the cunning things that the devil is going to throw at you. For we wrestle not against, the flesh, and, against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. We're not fighting battles here that he's talking about that are with people. These are spiritual battles in the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, and you're dealing with satanic beings, the satanic influences. That's, that's the battle. That he's, he's talking about a daily battle that we are wrestling in. So you need this armor that God has provided for us. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and above all, taking the shield of faith 
wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And for me that utterance may be given unto me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in bonds that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. And we'll stop right there. <clears throat> so he makes this, he creates this metaphor, this word picture of using the armor, <laughs> that the whole armor of God. And why, why did he do this? Well, he told us a little background right here in verse uh, 20 that he's an ambassador in bonds. And I think maybe most of you understand what he's talking about. He's writing this letter to the Ephesians people where he had started this church and helped it get going and so forth. He was writing back to them to encourage them, but he himself was a Roman prisoner. So that's the, that's the context that he's in, that he's sometimes chained or cuffed to a Roman soldier. Sometimes he was in house arrest. And, and just the Roman army, the Roman power, the, the whole empire of Rome and everything about it, he was awaiting to go on trial, and it was everywhere about him. And he saw these soldiers every day. So he was thinking of some specific things that the Roman soldiers had on them and used. And, he's, and in this description, he puts special emphasis on the shield of faith. So <clears throat> these soldiers that were around him, were, most of them were called legionnaires. And the ones who were the elite ones were the Praetorian Guard just in case you're a history buff or something like that. But anyway, let's go on. Let's step back into history just a little bit and look at this, this Roman uh, uniform, particularly the shield of the Roman soldiers. Now, think about the Roman Empire, uh, Christ being the, basically the, the center point of history. The Roman Empire was involved or was, it, was uh, powerful for a few hundred years before that and for a few hundred years after Christ was on the earth. But let's step back into history. The first shields of the Roman soldiers were just adaptations of the Greeks. So you have in the early 300s, you have Alexander the, the, the Great, who conquered most of the known world at that time. They used a, a basic round shield. And so when the Roman Empire came into power, they were dealing with round shields. And they later became oval. And as technology changed... You know, we, we think about technology as being a thing of today, but there's technological changes that have went on throughout history that made major changes in things like battle tactics and, and warfare and so forth. So as, as mindsets and strategies changed, they came down to a type of a shield that was the dominant shield of the Roman Empire for most of the many hundreds of years that they were conquering nations. The name of that shield was the scutum. Let me just put that up here so you can understand what a scutum is, how that is written here. A scutum was referring basically to another, another common name for that was a turtle shield or a tortoise shield. Now I have here with me a little turtle shell that I found one time years ago. Notice this, how this is, is adapted, how this is uh, created. 
So it is a shield that you could hold in front of you, but notice how it wraps around on the sides. And this is why they called that a scutum in the Roman Empire, <clears throat> because of the way that they designed this. Instead of it being a flat thing, or an oval thing, <clears throat> or a round thing, they made it a cylindrical shield. Okay? It was about 40-some inches tall. And I'm just going to kind of give you a little diagram here. This is not 40 inches. And it was about 16 to 18 inches wide when you looked at it from the front. <clears throat> but it was semi-circular in shape. <clears throat> it actually folded out flat. It was about 30 inches wide and about 40 inches tall. So it was meant to cover you from about here down below your knees. <clears throat> it was a pretty big object. But it was particularly rounded so that they could be protected somewhat on the sides. It also had a circle in the middle, which was like a half cannonball, you might say. It was like a half uh, round iron ball surrounded by a plate of steel. And this was known as the shield boss. And this thing stuck out about three or four inches. And behind that was the man's hand. And that protected his hand from arrows or from anything coming at that shield. And it also gave him a powerful uh, striking point. Because this was mounted on his hand and he had the ability to push that out, straight out, and smack somebody with that iron ball if, you want, if he was in close contact. Now let's think about this just a little bit. From the top, looking down from the top, uh, once again, you'll see this thing is rounded. It was about 12 inches deep. And it had some thickness to it. Because there was about six layers of leather in this thing. You have the, the plate in the front of this. You have the, the iron ball sticking out. And you have the handle behind this. That was a, an amazing technological change to build the scutum and to use it. Now, one of the really fascinating aspects of this is because this was known as a tortoise shield or a turtle shield, that they had a particular formation that they used called the testudum. These are all Latin terms, but anyway, testudo, if you look up the Latin name of a tortoise, it has the same word right in there. A cestudo formation was a group of, of soldiers who needed to be protected from the front and from above because they were often in a situation where they were advancing toward a town, toward a, a wall, and they maybe had set up battering rams and they were trying to knock the walls or the gates down and these had catapults. The Romans were amazing engineers. They had all kinds of things that they were doing. But what they would do when they were getting close to breaking through, they wanted to bring as many men forward right up to the wall as possible. And so they would get themselves into a formation. And one picture that I saw in a demonstration of this, there were eight men across in a straight line. And the ones in the front were uh, kneeled slightly, had their shields completely covering them. The one, there were three rows behind them, and each of those men had their shields over top of their heads. So they were completely shielded from the front and from above from any arrows coming down from the walls or other projectiles and so forth. They would lock their shields together 
They were like a congregation. Now, as we speak these things, I want you to be applying and building lessons here. Okay, this is a congregation who is tightly in, in formation to advance together, completely shielded from attack from the front and from above. And if they had to, the ones on the sides would cover the sides, and they could also cover themselves from behind. So they called it a tortoise formation. This would bring hundreds or thousands of troops up to the wall. When the wall was broken through, they were ready to take over the town. <clears throat> Let me tell you just a little bit more about this shield. They, every soldier had two shields. One was for presentation, like parades. And it was highly decorated, it was painted bright red, it had golden uh, decorations on it, particularly the, the key symbols of Rome, which was the eagle's wings and thunderbolts. These were extremely uh, bold and, and expressive of the Roman Empire. But those weren't really taken into battle. The ones they took into battle had, were indica were, had indications on, they had decorations on to show their particular groups. Let's say a group of 100 that the centurion was over. It'd be 100, 100 men who all had a shield that looked alike, but they had this six layers of woven leather in there. It was laced with, with rawhide around the edges of that thing. It had the iron piece in the center. <clears throat> and they also had their name written on that shield. It was their shield. Every morning when those men would get up, they had a vial of oil with them. They would rub deeply oil into the layers of the leather of this shield. Have any of you ever had a baseball glove that you oiled? I remember playing, playing baseball every summer on a team and we would several times through the year, we would oil our gloves because it made your glove fit like a glove. It would make your glove respond to your hand. It was nothing stiff about it if you oiled it. So these Roman soldiers every morning would oil their, they would anoint their shield with oil. If that day they were going into battle, they would also take their shield and they would soak it for hours if possible to completely saturate the leather and the wood of that shield, because it had a wood foundation that was curved. <clears throat> and it would, the weight would go from, say, 12 or 13 pounds up to about 20-some pounds, just from the water that that shield had been soaked in. <clears throat> okay. What is the point of all this? Let's try to draw some conclusions. Maybe you've already have. I think there's some very strong conclusions you can start to draw from this. Because the Lord has called us, and Paul writing here, calling us to take the shield of faith. Why the shield? Why did he put special emphasis on the shield? Because the shield was the first line of defense. There was other elements to the armor. Okay, on your head and on your breast and your feet and, all the, and your sword and all that extra things are there. But the shield is your first line of defense. <clears throat> and we're, Paul calls it the shield of faith. <clears throat> and he also gives this very special description of being able to quench 
the fiery darts. Let's get to that in just a moment here. Let's go on here. <clears throat> First conclusion we want to draw about this is this thing of the daily application of the anointing oil. Turn, if you will, to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. We'll just look at something here. 1 John chapter 2 at verse 27. It says right here, But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you, and ye need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, you shall abide in him. You know, that's going to remind you of what Jesus told us about the Comforter, about the Holy Spirit, about the Spirit of Truth. Back in John 14, he, get, he started describing how he is expedient that he goes so that the Spirit of Truth, the Holy Spirit, could come. And that Spirit is going to lead you into all truth and is going to help you to know what to, what to say and to help you know things that are yet to come. There's all kinds of promises attached to this anointing of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so here is a picture of daily being saturated in the anointing of the Holy Spirit because that is going to provide the life, they're going to provide the protection, going to provide what's necessary for that shield of faith. And what, this shield of faith, the whole concept of this is that your faith is in God. It's not that I have, I have faith in myself. Because that's where we get in trouble. That's where we trip up too many times. We put too much faith in ourselves. But this shield of faith, that every morning we're going, to, we're going to be in communion with the Holy Spirit to anoint that shield because our, that shield of faith is in God. It's in His strength and in His power and in His might. And we can go forth with our first line of defense with faith in God. And the first thing that's done is to saturate that with the oil of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> the second conclusion we want to make from this <clears throat> let's turn back into Ephesians chapter 5, the chapter right ahead of where we were just reading. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 26. Ephesians 5, 26 that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. And verse 27, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Now this is, a, this is tucked in that passage that we often hear at weddings, talking about husbands and wives and how they're to love and reverence each other and so forth. But he's likening it to the, to the church, to the body of Christ. And right in this passage... It talks about the washing of the water by the word. So here we have this shield of faith. We are to be anointing that shield of faith by the Holy Spirit, by the oil of the Holy Spirit. And he's also talking here about washing of the water by the word. Just like those Roman soldiers would saturate their shields to go into battle. This is what would give them that ability to quench the fiery burning arrows. These arrows that were coming at them were wood shafts with uh, a type of iron uh, head on them, and they would dip them in probably some kind of either oil or maybe a tar or pitchy kind of a material and light it and send it out. And if this was to land on your shield, if you hadn't oiled that thing daily, if you hadn't saturated it with water, 
It could set your shield on fire. And this is what Paul is talking about. This is a unique shield, the shield of faith that is able to quench that thing that comes from Satan. Now, what the idea, <clears throat> I think the concept of this is that there are possibly things in the daily battle that you and I are in. And Satan knows how to send an arrow at us that's on fire. And it will light us up if we don't have a shield of faith that is oiled and is watered. Now, <clears throat> all of you will have to answer that. You know what, it, I mean, sometimes there's some might be things going on in your life. All Satan has to do is strike a match next to you and you light up and you're already done in. That's not standing up to the devil. That's not withstanding Satan. But Satan is, wants to do that. He wants to either hit you with a fiery arrow or light a match next to you and there's something going on in your life, and you're going to be lit up by it because you're not saturated in the oil of the Holy Spirit, and you're not saturated with the Word of God. Amen. Third conclusion. Let's move along here. <clears throat> Another unique thing that I didn't mention about the shield, and I don't know exactly how this was, but these Roman soldiers had a clip somewhere on their belt. I don't know if it was on their side or behind them, but somehow they had a way of clipping this shield onto them. So they didn't have to carry it around all day if they're hiking for 40 miles or something like that. They had a clip for that. And they also had, a, you know, they had their sword and everything. This was part of their gear. And in this phrase, above all, taking the shield of faith. And it says this also, and you read it in other kinds of translations, the whole concept of take up. Take this thing, grab it, make use of it. <clears throat> what if you leave it clipped on your belt and you don't pull it up? <clears throat> when the fiery darts are coming at you and you don't pull up your shield of faith, you think, I got this. No. What if you leave it on the clip? Or worse yet, what if you left it back in camp and you get yourself out there in the middle of battle and there's hundreds of arrows coming at you? I remember reading about a, a Roman... A leader, a general, who was in a battle in the same time frame where Paul is writing. <clears throat> and at the end of the battle, they counted 120 arrows stuck in his shield. Now, stories like that can get exaggerated over time. And let's say he only had 12. Let, let's reduce it to 10%. If I come out of a battle with 12 arrows stuck to my shield, that's pretty, a pretty bad situation you were in. What if I left my shield at home? You have other armor too, but you're not fully protected. That shield of faith was right there. It wasn't meant to be your first line of defense that I'm going to trust God in this. I'm going to trust God that he knows what's going on and he knows how to deal with it. He knows how to empower me to think and to process and to, and to care about others and to find ways to help people. He wants us to have that first line of defense at all times. Third conclusion is take up that shield. Don't leave it clipped and don't leave it at home. The fourth conclusion, I'm going to draw from this, goes back to the to pseudo formation, the, the tortoise formation. I've already mentioned this just a little bit, but the whole concept, this is like a congregation. These men were highly trained. 
And it was a very precise kind of a thing to learn how to walk together and to advance and keep your shields of faith locked tight. You know, we have a pretty casual concept of congregational life, don't we? <clears throat> what a picture that would be for us to be able to lock our shields of faith so close to each other that no one beside us gets an arrow coming down from the top or one coming from the front. And if you have to, you shield the sides and the back as well because those shields of faith can do that and allow these men to walk in formation to advance. They weren't real fast. It's part of the tortoise idea, but they got there. And they got there alive and safe and uninjured, able to go on with the mission. Fourth conclusion was the way that the testudo reminds us of the value of our shared faith as a congregation. We come here to worship together, but part of that is to encourage each other. And just by being here, you're an encouragement. Now, we know, we, we want you to stay home if you're sick. Well, that's, that's always been a common situation. You know, that, that gets a little bad if you're sharing the, un, the bad things. But anyway, <clears throat> but just being here, you are a blessing. Even if you're not one who teaches or preaches or, or, or leads singing or anything that's real public, when you're just here, it's an encouragement. There's a value in sharing our faith together as a congregation. The fifth conclusion that we're going to draw from this is that little note that we read that I found there that said every soldier had his name on his shield. And maybe it was in the back. Maybe it was down in the lower left corner or somewhere. It could have been anywhere. But that man's name was on his shield. Our shield of faith has our name on it. I mean, it's, it's God's shield. And it's his power that makes it effective. But our name is on that shield. You know, names mean a lot to God. You go into the book of Revelation, it turns to, we see things about that we're going to get a new name. And there's a lot, a lot of things attached to names in the book of Revelation. But in this case... Our shield of faith has our name on it. And I just want to share a little simple set of phrases with you that Bonnie shared with me the other day. She read this, and I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. Read that again. I want to write this down. And I didn't even know till this morning that I wanted to use it right here. Listen to this. The devil knows your name, but calls you by your sin. That's only half of it. The devil knows your name, but calls you by your sin. See, that's a fiery dart right there. That's what he does. He launches a fiery arrow that has your sin written all over it. And he plunges it into you, if possible. That's part of the advantage of a rounded shield, because it deflects arrows that are coming at it. Not everything sticks there. That's one of the reasons they made it like that. To deflect as many as possible. The devil knows your name, but he doesn't use your name. He doesn't call you by, he calls you by your sins. Think about that. Think about why you need a shield of faith, why you need to oil it, why you need to saturate it with the word of God, why you need to take it 
the value of coming together as a congregation. All right, the second half of this phrase. Well, the first half again. The devil knows your name, but calls you by your sin. God knows your sins, but calls you by your name. God knows your sins. He died for you, gave up his life for you, rose again eternally for you and I. God knows your, our sins, knows your sins, but calls you by your name. I'm so glad he knows my name and he calls me by my name. Yeah, he knows my sins. He knows all my weaknesses. He knows all, my, he knows all the things that Satan is able to light up. But God's still calling me, put up your shield of faith. Take it up. Use it. Know who's the, where the real power in that shield is. And he calls us in close friendship and relationship and, and savior relationship to us. He knows our name. Let's have a song. <clears throat>